ERPs are rapidly gaining popularity in the food industry. They can provide a huge benefit to a food operation. How do you know whether or not you're ready to jump into the ERP world? Well, in this episode, we'll answer that question. We'll also talk about what you can expect during an ERP implementation and what sort of ROI you can expect when you implement an ERP. If you're a food processor looking to take the leap into the ERP world, then you're not going to want to miss this episode. The real big ROI is in the automation and in the reporting. We think about a lot of customers that move to SAP. It's just a lot of manual, repetitive tasks that people are performing. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Farm to Fork podcast, brought to you by Carlisle Technology. Today's topic is on the ERP industry and its application in the food processing industry. Our guest today is Alex from Contacts. Alex has been in the food processing industry for over a decade with a focus on SAP. Alex has an extensive background in designing and implementing ERP systems for food processors across all sizes. Alex, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the company that you're representing? Thank you, Joe. Um, My name is Alex Thomas. I work for a company called Contacts. We are an SAP reseller and SAP implementer of the SAP ERP solution. Myself, I've been with the organization for almost coming up to 20 years. Uh, I'm the VP of professional services at the organization. Interestingly enough, I, I started the company right after university. I did engineering at Queens, did computer science engineering, and didn't really know what SAP was or even what consulting was. And joined this company as a junior consultant, started off with more on the technical side of things in SAP, and then kind of gradually moved on to uh, what we refer to as more the functional consulting, where you, know, you kind of work with the customers and understand their requirements and start configuring the SAP system based on those requirements. Then from there, I kind of went into more of a project management role. And and then my current role is more focused on sales and just working with our multiple offices across the organization. So tell us a little bit about how Contacts fits into the ERP world. Where do you guys sit with implementing ERPs and which ERP do you typically get involved with? So Contacts as an organization, I mean, we've been around for almost 30 years. Originally, we did AS400 programming, and we were really kind of a technical company. We got into the ERP space in kind of in the mid to late 90s. That's when kind of ERP was kind of booming. We aligned ourselves with multiple ERP products, SAP being mainly kind of the primary ERP product, but we did do some work in some of the other ERPs like JD Edwards and Oracle. In the mid-2000s, when a lot of the, I guess, major ERP players like the SAP and Oracles were kind of more or less buying out the competition, we kind of aligned ourselves with SAP. It was around the time when SAP was developing a partner program. So they developed a partner program in 2007 and eight, and we became one of the first partners in, in Canada to be uh, an SAP reseller. And, and really the focus for SAP was to sell their product to the mid-market space. And that's where we really made the decision to just be SAP focused versus building skill sets and, and some of the other ERPs. So SAP is kind of where you guys live now. You don't deal with any other ERPs. It's mostly just everything with SAP, right? That's correct. We're SAP first company. You know, some other products we work with will always complement SAP. 
if it's products that deal with uh, EDI or where the SAP system is hosted. You know, nowadays, a lot of people are looking at the cloud to host their infrastructure. So we've, we're also an AWS partner in, in addition to being a, an SAP partner. So, you know, typically we like to build a little bit of a context for, you know, what we're talking about today. And so since we're talking about ER, the ERP world uh, with SAP in particular, let's take a step back and look at uh, what is the history of ERPs just throughout time? Like how did ERPs get developed? Where did they kind of come from? And what is historically kind of been the architecture of ERPs as they've grown and evolved over the years? Yeah, I mean, when you think about the name ERP, it actually kind of came in the 1990s. I think Gartner was the one that kind of came up with the concept of an ERP. But, you know, when you look at computer systems, I mean, they've been around in the manufacturing industries since the 60s. And, you know, when you think about some of the earlier systems that were built and used, it was really around inventory management and control. Manufacturers needed a a better way to kind of track and control their inventory. And then, you know, kind of from there in, in the 70s and the 80s is where the concept of MRP came into play. And, you know, I think the the first kind of MRP systems, which really focused around materials requirement planning, you know, how do you, what product to buy, you know, how much stock you have on hand, how much got issued out of your system. And then it kind of expanded into more of like a manufacturing resource planner and and really how you would schedule your productions and do all the planning around manufacturing. You know, and then it was in the 90s when really, like I said, ERPs really came into play because, you know, when you look at a manufacturing company, well, systems were used on the manufacturing floor or in the warehouse, but departments needed a system if it's finance or, or purchasing or sales. Really, the whole concept of ERP was instead of having these individual systems or even some companies spreadsheets to run that side of the business, it made sense to have one system that really connected all departments that allowed them to use one set of data that was shared on one shared database. And and that really was how the concept of ERP kind of came about. It really was around this concept of, you know, a single source of truth right? You know, having people enter into one system, the data versus sales might maintain their information and purchasing might maintain similar information around a material or a product or an item. It didn't make sense that they would maintain it in two different systems. It would make sense to maintain it in one system that could be used by multiple departments, not only for data entry and integration, but also for reporting purposes. So that's kind of how the whole concept of ERP kind of came about and then, you know, kind of expanded from there. You know, obviously when you look at the 2000s, the dot-com era, right? Uh, Obviously the web and the internet kind of exploded around that time frame, and it just really changed how ERPs interacted with the web and the internet. And and then obviously in the last decade, it's more focused on cloud-based ERPs and I'm sure it's going to continue to evolve. Have you seen a big adoption of cloud ERPs in the food industry, or have you seen the food industry try to stick to servers still? When we hear the concept of cloud, it gets kind of misinterpreted. Cloud can mean a lot of different things. The reason why I kind of explain it this way is there's the infrastructure server side of things where, yes, cloud is really mainly used to where you're going to you know, store your infrastructure. And majority of companies today, especially if they're implementing a new ERP system, a lot of times they are looking at 
doing it in the cloud. We call those customers, you know, their journey to the cloud is, you know, they're born in the cloud versus, you know, customers that might have an ERP system today on premise or even at a hosting provider and they're looking to move to the cloud. It's more of a, what we call lift and shift to the cloud. But the main driver for a lot of companies moving to the cloud is cost. And just even when you look at the cost, it's not just buying a server. There's a lot of other factors that go into the cost, the electricity, the utilities, you know, someone actually responsible to maintain and support and make sure the system's up and running 24 seven, right? So, and I think most companies are looking at that as well, do we want to be responsible for that? There's companies that specialize in that they have resources, both like people resources and computer resources that do this, it makes more sense to go with a company like an AWS or a Microsoft Azure or a Google Cloud platform. So we're seeing customers migrate to the cloud. And especially more recently, I think in the last few years, we're seeing more customers adopt the cloud. So that's one concept when I think about cloud infrastructure. The other one is sometimes gets misinterpreted is the idea of a subscription-based product. You think about consumers were now heavily driven on subscription-based products. If it's things like Netflix or Spotify, right? We pay a, a monthly service, but we also have the option of canceling that service when we don't want to use it. Similar ERPs have a similar kind of pricing model where you can purchase a subscription, again, to have your system not only hosted in the cloud, but also that functionality gets updated and, you know, ERPs have that ability to pay for that subscription. Or you can completely own the software and make decisions on, you know, you can buy the, the software upfront and pay more of a maintenance. So there's different models when we talk about the cloud. So kind of going specifically to SAP. So when did SAP come onto the scene and start building momentum? So SAP has been around actually since the 70s. Originally, it was a few IBM engineers out of Germany that left, I guess, IBM and started the company SAP, but started off with some earlier versions, which were the R2, which is the, the mainframe, and then kind of moved to the R3, which is the client server, but really kind of gained a lot of popularity in the, in the 90s around the time when the whole concept of an ERP was kind of came in fruition. So that's when SAP really gained a lot of momentum. I think it also gained a lot of momentum, like I said, in the mid-2000s when there was not a lot of players out there. There was a lot of small players and SAP had had gained a lot of traction. Initially it was developed for midsize, but it was actually the larger enterprise organizations that ended up adopting SAP. A lot has to do with its rich functionality. I think it was one of those products that it had a very vast portfolio and it was able to cover a lot of different departments, not just let's say just manufacturing and finance, it was able to cover, you know, manufacturing, finance, sales, purchasing, human resources, warehousing, supply chain, a lot of different areas all in one system. So because it was one of the only few products at that time that was able to handle so many customers' needs, it, it really did gain a lot of popularity early on. And as a result, it's continued to grow and it's today the world's largest ERP software provider. 
with over 400,000 customers worldwide, 180 countries across, you know, 25 different industries, including food and the other manufacturing industries. Yeah, it's kind of become that gold standard for ERP systems. And I think, you know, that's why I'm excited about the conversation today, because, you know, we want to look at it from an SAP perspective, because that's, you know, where you specialize. But I think a lot of the functionality is the same across ERPs in general, just because, uh, you know, SAP is such a big player in the, the ERP realm. It is. And, you know, lots of change. You know, I think when you look at uh, in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, a lot of companies were looking to move to an ERP because they had all these different systems that ran different parts of their departments and it wasn't integrated. So it goes back to that whole lack of reporting and visibility and that whole single source of truth, right? So, but nowadays, when you think about it, you know, ERP is just one of many. IT products in your portfolio, right? Whereas it used to be the only major product in your IT portfolio. Now you have, you know, MES, now you have e-commerce, now you have CRM, right? The list, you know, now you have like interacting with your suppliers, right? The list goes on, right? So, you know, ERP is still a crucial part of your business, but it's kind of the central point in your business. And then you have all these other products that kind of sit outside the ERP. Kind of branch out and then integrate into that main ERP. Exactly. And I think where SAP has really been the leader in this space is because they have had a very solid foundation, a long history of being in this space for almost 50 years, right? And a lot of that functionality in those core areas like the finance, the sales, the purchasing, the manufacturing, you know, they've been around for a long time. Some of those processes have been standardized and they've been able to develop this concept of SAP best practices. So because they've had that core digital product in place for many years, it's been easier to kind of grow and expand outside it. Right. And I think that's where SAP has a bit of an advantage over some of the other ERP players because I've seen this when, when we introduce SAP, um, a lot of times we'll go into a customer that might be not running an ERP. They might be running their whole business on spreadsheets, or they might've built a custom solution, or they might've used a smaller tier system. Either it could be a system that just handles one part of their business, like a QuickBooks, or maybe even, you know, a tier two ERP. And they've outgrown that ERP. Maybe the reasons why they've outgrown it is maybe they've diversified their business into different product lines, or maybe they're now shipping internationally. Now they have to deal with multi-currencies and different transportation challenges, right? And that's where you see companies make that move to SAP is now you got a solution that really you can't outgrow. I haven't heard of a customer outgrow SAP. Definitely there's customers that enhance it and add pieces to it, but you rarely see people feeling the need that, you know, SAP doesn't meet all their needs that they need. So kind of leading off of that point then, let's talk about how a processor knows when they're ready to make a leap into the ERP world. So Alex, could you define the typical profile of a processor looking to adopt an ERP system? Yeah, I mean, I think when you think about a typical profile, you know, I think if it's any growing company, I think any startup that's, you know, kind of initially getting their foot in, probably it's not the right time to invest into an ERP. But if it's a company that's kind of been established, they have 
set of customers that they're dealing with, set of suppliers they're working with. You know, they have a, a pretty solid manufacturing process already in place, but they're growing, right? And they're expanding, either opening up new plants, maybe their customer base is expanding outside of regional to a more of a global presence where we see a lot of times these organizations are doing a lot of manual repetitive tasks. So a lot of manual data entry or, you know, there's situations where I go back to inventory, you know, inventory is kind of the key to a lot of this is traceability and just not having a good understanding of how much inventory you have or how much you should order and how much you need to ship. Right. So, and that kind of leads to like lack of reporting and visibility to information. So, you know, those are the, usually the best use cases when it comes to a processor kind of making that jump to an ERP is they need to automate some of these tasks. They need to be able to access information quickly to make good decisions. Right. That's usually when, okay, now it's time to think about an ERP. Right. And I guess then from the lens of context, how does context then qualify a processor for being ready, let's say, to take on SAP? When we meet with a customer, I mean, I think we have to understand their pain points, right? And, and you know, interestingly enough, a lot of the customers, kind of repeating myself and a lot of the same stuff that we see as pain points are, we're spending more time on manual tasks. You know, there's got to be an easier way to automate this or just the lack of reporting is a big one or the whole master data, right? Our data is kind of all over the place, right? And as a result of our data being all over the place, we can't really run meaningful reports to really get good information to make good decisions. So, you know, th those are usually the, the key qualifiers to considering us, SAP, you know, at the end of the day, SAP, yes, it works. There's a lot of big companies that run SAP, but 80% of the 400 plus thousand customers that SAP has are actually small to mid-sized organizations. So those mid-sized companies have some of the same challenges and complexity that large enterprise organizations have. Maybe the volumes are a lot lower. So, you know, those are typically what, what we see when we qualify a processor to make that jump to SAP. There's a lot of different types of systems out there. Like we, we've talked ERP. Uh, you also kind of briefly mentioned MES systems. WMS systems are common. I know when I've been out there in the industry, you see a mixed bag of different processors use them all differently. So there's some that have a main ERP system that sits over the top of everything and kind of acts as the jack of all trades for the entire operation. And then we have some processors that, you know, have standalone MES systems, standalone WMS systems, like there's no main governing ERP or anything in there. So can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between ERP system versus something like an MES or a WMS? And why would somebody choose an ERP versus an MES or vice versa? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this dependent on when they, they implemented their ERP, right? I mean, obviously, if they implemented it at a time like I said, back in the 90s or even the early 2000s, you know, obviously systems have changed, right? And you, and you think about like the shop floor, I mean, you got to keep it pretty simple for the end user, not only on the shop floor, but also in the warehouse, right? So there's definitely some overlaps between ERP and MES and ERP and WMS. But I think really where the huge differentiator is, you know, MES and WMS systems are niche type systems, 
right? And I think where we've seen companies go with an MES system versus, you know, maybe using some of that that functionality in an ERP, because, you know, ERPs can do production planning, you know, it can do shuffler execution, it can capture, you know, the information you need, but sometimes it's in the level of the detail and the granularity. Yeah, you were saying that, you know, MES systems and WMS systems are a little bit more niche and that they, whereas the ERP kind of is a master over the entire organization. And I know that, you know, some of my favorite projects from a Carlisle perspective is where we're acting as the MES and we're integrating into those ERP systems. And I think that, you know, one of the ways that I see MES working really well with ERP systems is, you know, kind of like what you mentioned on the plant floor. So for example, you know, systems like ours will go in and they'll integrate directly into plant floor hardware, like scales and scanners and that sort of a thing. And they'll grab that production data and then they'll feed that up into those ERP systems or we'll receive, you know, production orders from the ERP. You know, we basically fill those orders and we send that production data back up into the ERP. And I see a lot of value in that. And I see, you know, a lot of processors who really kind of optimize both ERP and MES by implementing systems, you know, together with that interface. Agreed. Yeah. And I think that you highlighted a really important point there is the shop floor integration into the the machines, right? And I think... MES tends to be better in that area than I would think in ERP. And again, I think it depends on the industry, right? I think certain industries you could maybe get away with just using the ERP, but I think in industries like the food processor, the MES system tends to have an advantage. And, you know, and, and the nice thing is when you think about the integration piece, they're not competing against each other. They're complementing each other. Right. When you think about MES, it's going to capture the details at the shop floor. But those details need to flow back into ERP because they are being used by other departments. You know, like take product costing, for example. There's pieces in product costing that you have to capture during the production process. But then there's other costs that's, you know, if it's the raw materials that you've purchased or the overheads, right? Like there's all these other cost factors that gets calculated as part of the product cost that needs to feed in information from MES in order to come up with that final cost. So they don't compete. It really is. They complement each other. And I've always seen it as really what it comes down to is that level of detail. MES tends to capture that level of detail more granular than sometimes ERP does. I agree completely. I mean, I think that's what I typically try to point customers to when we're talking to them is a lot of these customers have a lot more going on than just what's happening on the shop floor. You know, they, there's other departments like you were talking about. They're managing CRM applications. They're looking at product costing. They're looking at creating purchase orders, doing all these various different tasks. And MES can feed data up into those tasks, but it's really a matter of complementing each other by allowing the ERP to manage things at that higher level across multiple departments, multiple areas, and then allowing MES to go down into the machines on the plant floor and grab the data that's needed for that next level up. MES feeds data into ERP and it's vice versa. ERP feeds data into MES when you think about around the planning of, of production and manufacturing, right? This concept of sales and operation planning. And, you know, again, everyone does planning differently depending on their customers if they're a make to stock or make to order kind of organization right but you know a lot of that high level planning happens at the erp level and 
you know, maybe even a bit of the capacity planning can happen at the ERP level. It really is dependent on the requirements in the use case. Let's talk a little bit about SAP and being in the industry too. I've heard a lot of common misconceptions around the system. You know, it's too big, it's too complex, it's too expensive. Alex, why do you think SAP garners such a negative reputation in the food processing industry? When you have, you know, 400,000 plus customers, the negative customers tend to get the publicity over the positive use cases. But, you know, when you look at some of the numbers, I mean, some of the top food companies, like a Maple Leaf, like a Cargill, a JBS, Nestle, they all run SAP, right? And, you know, sometimes those stories don't get highlighted enough that they should. You know, the whole concept of too big, too complex, too expensive, it really is depending on the size of the organization, right? I mean, every implementation, you can't compare like, you know, an implementation you do for like Maple Leaf, who's a very big organization, a large enterprise organization, compared to, you know, a small to mid-sized company, right? I mean, SAP has, you know, been able to develop these concepts of SAP best practices that really help reduce the cost and the risk, right? Because it's using more standard out-of-the-box functionality and it's using some of those processes that those big companies have established and have used for many years to, to say, well, you know, how you do, let's say, production planning, well, you know, it's pretty consistent across the board. There's a, a framework to kind of, or a template to work from, right? Or how you do a sales order processing, how do you fulfill an order, how you do finance functions like accounts payable, accounts receivable, There's certain things that are pretty standard across many different industries. So that, you know, kind of removes some of those complexities and this concept of too big, but you know, like any implementation, it comes down to the requirements and the wish list that the customer has. And if you try to implement everything, it's going to be expensive, right? And, you know, one of the things that we try to do with our customers is really focusing on the requirements that you need to run your business day one or, or the first week or the first month. One of the um, phrases that we coin is go live is just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. And by taking that kind of approach is build the foundation, get that up and running, and then kind of grow with the system, you know, and expand and add functionality where it is appropriate to and not try to do it all at once. Because a lot of times I think when customers try to do too much, that's where it gets this whole concept of too big, too complex and too expensive, right? Because they're just taking on a lot more than they can handle. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's funny. We uh, we actually did a podcast late last year with a company called Nagenet. So they are change management consultants that have a focus on ERP implementations. And more or less what you said was an exact you know mirror of what they were talking to us, whether it be companies usually always focus on your negatives, never your positives. Um, they're just not ready to handle or sustain you know, a large system or just don't have that knowledge or know-how of how their processes would fit into a bigger ERP system like SAP. So it's a, it's a lot of growth, figuring out your processes and how are they really going to map out into this larger scale ERP system. And it's really, you know, kind of to your point, scoping out proper requirements and then aligning, you know, the start to finish um, with their business goals in mind. So I think that's a great point. The unfortunate thing is negative press doesn't go away. Right. And a lot of times you see some of these stories, you know, no one actually takes a look at who the customer was, 
when it happened, who was the implementer, right? There's a lot of backstory, let's call it, information that isn't always provided that explains why that was a, ne- a negative experience, right? So, and unfortunately, some of those stories, maybe it was in the during the time when ERPs were relatively new, right? In the, in the 90s and the 2000s that you tend to see some of those negative stories. But, you know, honestly, you don't hear so much of those in the last decade because I think a lot of it's due to the fact that implementations have become more streamlined. There's a methodology and a process you follow. It really is a partnership between the customer, the software vendor, and the implementation partner, right? And if you solely if you solely expect one of the parties to do all the work it's never going to be a success it's more of a success if it's a collaboration between all three parties sometimes that's not always the case you know i think this is kind of a great point to get into what does it look like to implement sap or erps in general because i know you know a lot of the bad press i've heard around sap isn't really specific to sap if you really think about it it's more to me to do with implementations of an ERP system can just be painful in general. And because because SAP is such a large company, you know, like you said, they're going to get the press because they're one of the key players of the gold standard there. But I think that implementing an, an ERP system is a large project and a large undertaking. And that's probably, you know, there's pain that kind of comes along with that. So can you walk us through a little bit about what a processor can expect during, you know, the implementation of SAP or an ERP system in general? I think three key challenges on any project, I would say, is one is data, data migration, data preparation. I'll dive a little bit deeper in in each item or each point. You know, the second one I would say is commitment to the project, both from a time and a resource perspective. And then the, you know, last one obviously is a big one is change management, right? You know, when you look at the first point of data, like a lot of companies that move to a new system, chances are their data isn't the greatest, right? A lot of times we see either the data is either obsolete, right? You know, you keep old products and items or old customers that you don't longer do business or produce, you know, you don't need to bring that data into a new RP. So there's, you know, a bit of cleanup, you know, removing that kind of old data and really cleaning up the new data. The other thing we see is not all the fields are filled out, right? So maybe when you look at a customer, not all the information is consistent with every customer. Maybe some customers have certain fields filled out and certain information and others don't. So, you know, one of the things that you want to do when you do a, a new implementation is you want to establish some standardization and consistency with the data structure, right? The other thing is when you look at even when you set up the data, you know, addresses is a great one, right? Some people have the full address, some people don't have the postal code, you know, things like that are going to make it difficult when you are doing some reporting, right? So making sure the data is complete, right? So, you know, one of the things that we do is with our SAP implementations is we provide data templates. So SAP has, okay, you know, if you're setting up a, a product or an item, well, we have a lot of fields in SAP, you know, to store this information. But, you know, here are the hundred key fields that you need to fill out by department, right? So we'll break it out into individual templates where we'll ask the company to, to fill out these spreadsheets. And then we have tools to help easily load this information into the system. And, you know, loading data is an iterative process, right? You load it once, you get some errors, you clean it up, you do it again, 
right? You try to do this at least three times to ensure that the data is, is clean. And why this is important is because a lot of times when you do have issues after you go live, a lot of times it's related to the data. You know, the data wasn't maintained properly. It's better to put that upfront effort into the data during the implementation versus trying to clean it up afterwards. Because, you know, when you clean it up afterwards, you just don't have the time, right? And you end up creating the same mistakes or the bad habits that you've done before in the past. So that's one of the first steps is just making sure the data is good, it's prepared, and it's been validated, and, and, and it, it will reduce the number of issues when you go live. You know, the second point I made was around time commitment and resource commitment. We understand, especially for small companies, small to mid-sized companies, they don't have the luxury of pulling their own resources to be full-time dedicated to this project. You know, and that's a real difference between a larger enterprise organization. When you see some of these bigger implementations, they will take people out of the business, out of IT, and their job is fully dedicated to this project and they will backfill them. And we understand small to mid-sized companies don't have that luxury of doing that. So it's important that we work with their time schedule. But at the same time, one of the things we like to establish is at the beginning of the project is, okay, during this phase of the project, we need X percentage of your time, right? And, and you know, a lot of times it's during the project. So like when we look at the blueprinting or when we're gathering requirements and really understanding what the customer's looking to implement, we need the input from the customer right? That's where we need a bigger time commitment from the customer. But once we get those requirements and now it's our responsibility to build and configure the solution and initially test it out, the time commitment is a lot less, right? And then it kind of ramps up once we get closer to go live. Having that commitment is really important, but also working and making it flexible to work around people's schedules is important because they still have to do their day-to-day job. The other thing is making sure you have the right resources from the customer that are going to be a part of this project. A lot of times, a lot of companies just assume, okay, we're going to take the people that have been around the company the longest, you know, they have the most experience, they have that tribal knowledge. And, you know, in a lot of cases that does make sense, right? And it kind of ties into my next point around change management, but it's finding those right resources that are champions to a successful project. You know, they're eager and keen to be a part of this project because in a lot of times those are individuals that may not have the experience, but are individuals that have a path in the organization to be future leaders, right? So making sure you have the right resources is really important on on a project and it really does establish a a successful goal live, but also these are the key people that are going to help support the system once you're live. And then the last point is change management. I mean, the reality is with any big change, there's going to be some impacts and people need to trust that these new processes are going to help them down the road. And this is a hard thing for people to understand because a lot of times, you know, depending on what they came from, they're just used to their individual processes. And, you know, when you're building an ERP, you're trying to silos, you're trying to, you know, help people understand that the information you enter in is going to have an impact to other people. You know, so when you look at like sales, for example, the information that they enter in is going to have an impact to how much 
you need to produce. So it's going to impact the production floor. It's going to impact, you know, the purchasing department to understand how much of that raw material they need to produce. It's going to impact, you know, finance, right? So the concept of change management is really important and being able to adopt these new processes, being able to accept that your role is going to change, but it's going to change for the better. How would you say, kind of along the change management piece, it's been your experience with processors kind of standardizing their processes in order to adopt an ERP system? Because we know it's important that, you know, you can't just do a lot of these smaller processors specifically, but maybe even medium ones as well, might have more of an ad hoc process on the plant floor or even up in the office. How receptive are they to standardizing the process in order to fit within that ERP system? It's a challenge, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to trust, right? Because you you look at some of these processors, a lot of it is tribal knowledge in their head, right? A lot of times it's not even, even documented in a system, right? So now you're asking someone to take all that information and download it, right? And now we're going to take that information and upload it into a new system. That's tough, right? It's tough to people to understand how important it is to do that kind of goes back to time commitment right they need to dedicate the time to download all that information so that they can enter that into a system so do you have some general recommendations when trying to consolidate to a standard process one of the approaches that we like to take is when we do like blueprinting, for example, you know, the traditional way, again, this is goes back to how ERPs have changed their method implementation methodology over the decades. There was a methodology when you first start off, it was like, tell me how you run your business and we'll take your as is requirements and we'll map that to be a to be requirement. You know, those blueprinting sessions, you can imagine when you're trying to gather all that information of what they do today it's a lengthy process it could take anywhere from months right and one of the things sap has done and this is kind of the approach we like to take is we we start off with best practices so we don't we don't start off with tell me how you do your business today versus what we do is let us show you what a sample system would look like an out of the box you know, best practice type of system. And we'll walk you through the flow. So we do these, uh, we call them conference room pilots where we're actually demoing certain processes. And by demoing those certain processes, they're getting an early preview and exposure of how their business might look like using these new processes. And we understand there's going to be gaps, right? And we're going to document those gaps and we're also going to negotiate on those gaps, right? Because there's going to be gaps where and this comes kind of ties into the whole change management pieces. Some people are very maybe stubborn in their way of thinking like, no, this is the way to do it. And us as an implementer are kind of probing and trying to understand, okay, well, explain to us why you do it this way. And through that kind of discussion, both parties may realize, okay, yeah, maybe we can change it. Maybe we can adopt this, this process. Or maybe the other way around. It's like, yeah, you know what? What you're explaining is very unique to your business. It's what makes you guys, helps you differentiate yourself in the, in the industry. So we need to kind of find a, a way to either enhance it or configure what you're looking for, right? And, you know, one of the things that SAP has in addition to best practices, because best practices at the end of the day, it might get you like anywhere from 60 to 75% of your implementation. Where you have to go outside of best practices is where we, it has, uh, you know, many different configurable options available 
you know, because SAP is used in multiple different industries, 25 plus industries, we can look at some of those different configuration options to see if it meets that need that maybe best practice doesn't meet. And then if we still can't configure it, there's always the option, you know, customizing it to the person's uh, requirements. I know from Carlisle Technologies' perspective, when you're talking about customizations, generally with our solution, we like to keep it as out of the box as possible. It makes it a lot easier for upgrading to newer software versions and just really supporting it generally. Because in the past, we used to follow the model of, you know, everyone is special, everyone has customizations, but it ends up becoming tough and a nightmare for us to not only support, but then for not only that, but then to actually upgrade the software. So I guess in the context of the ERP, like where does it make sense to customize a process versus, you know, standardizing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's give and take, right? Like obviously your goal is to adopt as much as you can out of the box. And that's, we really focus a lot of staying within out of the box functionality as much as possible. Same reasons as you, right? When you add customization, it just, it ends up adding more cost and risk down the road. But the reality is there's certain things that can't be met out of the box and need to be customized. And, you know, we do our best to evaluate those before we jump to a customized solution. And a lot of times where we see customization, for example, give you a few examples. So like, you know, SAP might have multiple transactions to complete a process and where it might make sense to customize a solution is to combine let's say three transactions into one to make it simpler and easier for the user to use so a lot of times instead of calling a customization call it an extension let's say right where we're really combining three transactions. We're not changing the underlying code of those three transactions. And we're just, we're leveraging those three transactions and combining it to one simple, easy transaction that the user can use. So things like that, it does survive, you know, upgrades, right? It doesn't have a negative impact. So that's one example of a customization. You know, others that you do on every project is the outputs, right? If, you know, yes, SAP has examples for, a goods receipt label or, you know, shipping labels and things like that. But, you know, every customer has some unique things they want to add to their labels to make it easier for their whole process, right? Or maybe customer driven or supplier driven. Maybe it's a, you know, a PO output that, you know, there's some specific text that the, the supplier needs, right? Or, or vice versa, maybe on the customer invoice. So, you know, things like that, you're always going to be doing some slight customization. But again, the level of customization is pretty low. It's not, it's, and again, those things tend to survive um, implementations or I should say survive uh, upgrades. And then, you know, the other ones are integration right? There's always going to be a level of customization when you're integrating ERP with other systems like an MES system, right? There's always going to be, SAP does provide the ability to extract data and import data into SAP, but you still need to do some, you know, transformation. You might need to map it differently into, into the target system that's going into. So, you know, there's a bit of customization that's needed uh, in those types of scenarios. Let's talk about everybody's favorite topic, which tends to be the ROI of a system like this. So when you implement SAP or an ERP system, what sort of an ROI or where would your customers find ROI from a system like that? The real big ROI is in the automation and in the reporting, 
right? Because, you know, when you think about a lot of customers that move to SAP, it's just a lot of manual repetitive tasks that people are performing, right? And, you know, by introducing new processes that really do streamline and automate the process, you're going to see a huge reduction in the manual task. But, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to, you know, here's an opportunity to lower your your headcount. It's really moving those resources to focus on more high value tasks, right? Tasks that will help your business grow. So that that's really where you kind of see that. And then, you know, when you look at the the whole reporting, right? I mean, the reporting piece is, is, is you know, a lot of companies that don't run SAP or run, you know, let's say spreadsheets or silo systems, right? Like a QuickBooks and counting and maybe a different system for, for sales and purchasing and manufacturing WMS, you know, being able to run a report across multiple departments, right? You know, when you don't have an integrated solution, someone actually has to download that data, build a report, and then probably through Excel, and then eventually, and that's time consuming, right? I mean, so by having all that information in one system and having a report that just can bring up the information for you, I mean, there's a huge time saver right there, right? And, you know, one of the, the key kind of comments that SAP kind of phrases is the insight to action. You know, the idea of really identifying those exceptions right off the bat and then taking action on them all in one screen, all in one transaction versus the concept of downloading all this information, doing the analysis to see what the exceptions are, and then bring it to someone's attention that, and then they do all the steps to action it. What sort of like actionable data do you guys see a lot of times um, from a system like SAP? So for example, you know, they have these reports now that are available to them. They don't have to create these reports or these spreadsheets anymore. Just kind of with the click of a button, they can pull up the report that they need. So where do you see places like, I mean, for example, costing or yields that would be beneficial for processors that maybe they haven't thought about as a benefit from an ERP system? Yeah, you know, product costing is obviously, obviously a big one. You know, a lot of these reports, when you think about these actionable data, I mean, all it's dependent on the data how you set up the system and how you set up the data, right? And, you know, a lot of times uh, organizations, when you look at product costing, especially, right, there's so many different ways to come up with your costing. But at the end of the day, it could be the differentiator on, you know, what you're setting your customer prices are. Are you producing a product that isn't really providing a whole lot of value and margin, right? So, you know, that information allows you to kind of dictate you know, where to, where you should be spending your money, I guess. Right. As far as the production yields go, that too, right. When you think about there's reports around scrapping and, and, you know, understanding, okay, why are we not producing to the amount we're expecting? You know, why are we scrapping this amount? You know, what are the reasons behind this reason? Is it because of the machine? Is it because of the resource, the labor, like understanding, I think the root causes is, is, is kind of the key thing with a lot of these reports. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think too, the new generation that's kind of coming out of school, you know, college, universities, things like that, they're used to technology like this to where they can see that sort of data. They're not used to working with pen and paper systems or maybe not even as used to Excel spreadsheets. But I think having that current technology kind of excites the new prospects kind of coming into your organization as well too, right? 
For sure. Right. And when you think about, yeah, you know, that generation probably trusts technology a lot more than the previous generations that had to rely heavily on pen and paper. Right. I can imagine when the calculator came out, people were probably like, oh, we don't trust this calculator. It's not, we still got to do the good old pen and paper to figure out the calculations. Right. You know, I think that's just, you know, you're right. I think because they trust the technology, they don't want to spend that time trying to do that analysis outside the system because that's very time consuming. And, you know, I think when it comes to new talent, I think it applies to everyone. Everyone wants to be working on interesting, challenging things. Right. And I think, and that's where I think technology really has a huge benefit is it it allows people to focus on areas that really is challenging and interesting versus, you know, the time consuming manual tasks is sometimes it's not the most interesting things, the stuff that people don't look forward to. And, and, and I think you're right. I think it, it doesn't help retain talented staff. So Alex, where can our listeners learn a bit more about contacts and their services? Probably the best way to contact us is probably through our website. So our, our website is www.contact. So that's C-O-N-T-A-X.com. And we're also can be found on LinkedIn. We do have our own LinkedIn page. You can obviously connect with me on LinkedIn too. And then we also have our own YouTube contacts SAP channel where we have a few videos that we've posted. But, you know, one of the things we love to do is just talk to people, talk to customers. You know, as an organization, we don't have a huge sales force. A lot of our consultants play multiple roles in the organization. If it's managing, delivering, and a bit of sales. But, you know, one of the things that's made us successful is our long-term relationships with our customers. We really do emphasize a lot on building, you know, long-term relationships. So, you know, just getting that opportunity to have initial conversation and helping you, you, you guys answer any questions you might have. And we really like to get engaged pretty early on and, you know, take that opportunity just to educate you and see if there's a good fit. You know, at the end of the day, if there's not, if it's not a good fit, we completely understand. But if anyone has any questions around SAP or ERP, I'd love to set up a, a call and just learn more about what they're looking for. Oh, that sounds great. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I mean, I learned a lot just about ERP systems in general, including SAP, and you're just a wealth of information. So we thank you. Thank you again, Joe and Andy, for uh, inviting me to be a part of this and you know, look forward to hopefully having further conversations because who's getting who. The topic of ERP is it's hard to just summarize it in, in a short period of time. There's there's probably lots we can get into, but uh, that's the great thing about being in this type of industry. Absolutely. It's, there's always something new to learn, right? So for all listeners out there, head over to www.contacts.com, reach out to Alex and his team, and they'll be happy to help you with all of your ERP needs.